Good morning. Can everybody do it like he doesn't? Good morning. Oh, all right, all right. I like it. <laughs> hey, um, good to be back with you again this morning. was here four weeks ago, and uh, today marks a three-week series that I want to just open up the Word of God, and why in the world is that we should trust it, okay? The real, uh, reliability of the Word. Um, the standard for truth, those kind of things. But before I get there, I want to let you know that four weeks ago when I was here and I was preaching at the end of that three-week series, I really had a burden on my heart that most of you did not know about. I had shared with the elders. And um, so afterwards, after that second service, uh, we went into another room and um, we prayed together. And I appreciated so much. My 15-year-old granddaughter had been missing for two days already. And uh, she went missing for 11 days. Uh, is back home and safe. And uh, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, I have never been through anything like that. Um, that's a scary, scary thing because I know what's out there. She does not. You know, and so many people praying and uh, lifting us up in prayer. And, and I learned a lot of things from that. I think I've got a sermon series coming up out of that too. But um, I think she is not out of the woods, seriously. I mean, there are a lot of things that lead up to something like that. So there's a, a lot of things that need to be uh, in her life, answers. And I think uh, there's a real spiritual battle that's going on right now. So I'll tell you what, one thing that Satan would love to have, and that is to divide the family, all right, grab our kids, our grandkids, and divide the church. You know why? Because those are the two organizations that God set up, and the only two in the whole world. All right? He set up the family from the beginning. And if Satan can divide that, he divides relationships and love and those kind of things. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Right? So that's his as well. So anything that Satan can do to come in and, and divide and conquer, that's what he wants to do. And I appreciate so much. Many of you have been praying for us as a family. Uh, for Lauren, and really, really do appreciate that. I want to enter into a time of prayer of thanksgiving for that, but then also just our time together this morning. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your great, great love. Uh, so many times we, we just don't appreciate enough how much you love us, how much you sacrifice for us, how much you weep over us. And then when we do the right things, what joy we bring to your heart. I think very often we just kind of see things from our perspective only, and, and we need to look at, at things from your chair. Thank you for the answers to prayer, because many people pray and do not get what they asked for. Oftentimes what they get instead is to go through the hard stuff with the strength that you provide. But I'm living today in Thanksgiving, and I appreciate so much. Uh, Lord, also, I just pray for our time together. These are here because they love you, and we're in all kind of different walk in that path. Uh, some are just beginning the journey. Others have been in, in Christ for 40, 50, 60 years. Um, but each of us uh, wants to express our appreciation, our love, but also just to be able to grow in our faith. So help us to do that as we open your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How important is it that we place the Bible up as our standard for truth. 
That's what we're going to be kind of looking at for the next three weeks. All kinds of truth that's being presented in the world around us. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? The truth that says, oh, well, marriage might be a good thing. Um, my truth is, is that uh, I should be able to drink anytime I want to and get drunk and whatever. My truth is my anger should be able to take me to a place where it punches you in the nose. Uh, the place where, uh, uh, yeah, I'm married, but I'd like to have two on the side. Um, what's right, what's wrong, and who actually gets to establish that? If it's not the word of God, what is it? Your truth, my truth, whose truth? And I believe that God settled the issue. It's just that we need to keep going back to his word for the answers. Now, I want to share with you this. I'm doing something that I've never been done before in my life, okay? LGP, LGBTQ+, okay? Most of you would know what those letters stand for. If not, you know that it's a deviation from marriage and what God has planned. But I am entering into discussions with those who just newly instituted an organization in Delaware County. And it's the newly formed Pride Group. And they were going to do a presentation where people could come and ask. and all. Well, I'm interested in that because I have a different perspective than what they do, obviously. Okay. And so what I did was that I went to the director of and I said, you know, this is where I'm coming from. And I don't want to create problems. In fact, I just want to be able to say, hey, my opinion would be this. And so what I'd like to do before the first session even is to be able to sit down with the two presenters and just get to know them and have them get to know me so that they would not fear me in the discussion. So that was my approach. Um, he appreciated that. I sat down with the two of them for an hour, got to know them, where they were coming from. The one had been married and divorced four different times. The other one is living with. And, and, you know, just all over the map, they're different experiences. And so we started talking, and I told them, I said, you know, when I was preaching at Sunbury, I told my people that if you're going to enter into this discussion with anybody, first ask this question. May I have an opinion that's different from yours? I'm just asking for respect with a different opinion. Because if a person says, no, you may not, then end of discussion, right? It, it, there's no point in going on. But if I can honestly have a different opinion than yours, then we can mutually discuss this with respect. And that's what we did for the next hour. I met with them over lunch, and um, we sat and we talked. And at the end of that, I said, you know what we just did? We just disagreed on four major points but we did it respectfully. And that's what I prefer to do. I, because I have a different opinion does not make me a hater, does not make you a hater. Let's just respectfully do this. And we got to doing that. Now, their opinion is based on experiences of life, different uh, people that are supposed to be experts in the field, and the Word of God. They go to church. Now, how much of the word of God they take as God's true word is different from how much I take. All right. My standard of truth is this is the whole thing. God's word. Their truth is, well, parts of it contains truth, but it's more of a reference book than it is God's word. OK, so it helps form their opinions. 
which is different from me, that it guides and leads my opinions, all right? So we were able to do that in a very respectful manner. But our approach, our understanding of Scripture should direct our thinking about truth. Is this right? Is this wrong? Oh, does the Bible speak to it? And so that's where we keep going back to. Preachers come and go. But Jesus said, my words will never disappear. Heaven and earth will, but not my words. And so there is a standard by which we can live life and we can know that we put our own emotions under the truths of God's word. I was seven years old when I gave my life to Christ and when I was baptized, I got a Bible at seven. And inside the, end, the cover of that Bible, it's written this one verse of scripture from 2 Timothy and it said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed Rightly dividing or correctly handling the word of truth. Okay? And had that in there. A couple of things right away. Study to show yourself a workman. That doesn't sound easy, does it? You see, we don't get the truths of God just by sitting in church. We get the truths of God because we desire and we chase after and we want to know the truth. And it was Jesus who said that truth will set you free, right? Okay, so those who want to know God want to know the truth. And so we study, be a good workman, but then he says, correctly handling the word of truth. The way that God intended truth to be understood and then disseminated is what we're after. James says this, don't be very many of you teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more harshly. Why? Because people are expecting to know the word of God, the will of God, and if what I do is to then insert my opinions instead of his truths, he's going to hold me responsible for that. Now, how many of you want to be teachers right after you read a verse of scripture like that, you know? It kind of puts things in a serious mode, doesn't it? We need to study the word of truth because that comes from the very heart of God, all right? I want to, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would love for you to turn with me to 2 Timothy. And we're going to read a rather lengthy passage here. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 through the end of the chapter and then some more. Before I go on, though, I, I want to let you know, when you leave this morning, I want you to pick up this booklet, all right? It'll be in the back as you're leaving. I want everybody age 13 and older to get one of these. Now, someone within your church already donated the money to publish and, and to purchase these for you, okay? So one per customer. I know at Sunbury, what we ended up doing, some people enjoyed it, that they would want 10 and 20 at a time. They'd pass it out to family, friends, whatever. And so if that's the case, you know, next week they'll be available and the next week, that kind of thing. Everybody, one per customer today, and it's free, all right? And then after that, if you'd like more, then maybe just put 10 bucks in the offering plate or, or something like that. But I want you to have this. Because the way that I wrote this, I put it in bulletins, in the insert of a bulletin. And here's another reason we can believe in the Word of God. Here's another reason why we can trust the Word of God. Here's another. And I just took those and I just put them into this booklet form is what I did. Now, know that I wrote them for the men not for the women, okay? 
And by that I mean this. Men are usually not book readers. They read articles, well, short spurts, okay, that kind of a thing. You can read one page and put it down. It doesn't depend that you read 10 in a row, okay? You can read one page, put it down. You can put it by your lazy boy. You can tuck it in something in your, in your office, put it inside your Bible. Um, wherever your reading room might be, okay, um, you can park it there. And if you've got a couple of minutes, just read another page. They do stand alone. All right, is what I'm saying. So those will be available for you when you leave this morning. Second Timothy, beginning with chapter 3, verse 10, goes like this. And you have to understand that Paul is about to leave planet Earth. And he says this. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. What, what Paul is doing right here with Timothy is saying, you know me. I'm not here to sell something. And people were doing that back then. They would preach a message, and then people, they would take up a collection. And Paul's saying, you know me. You know the persecutions I went through. You know my integrity. This is what I want you to understand before I leave. Okay? Verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, stop there for a second. You want to live a godly life? You're living in an ungodly world. And what he's saying is everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. What Jesus said was something like this. A whole lot of people are going to hell. A place of destruction is what he called it in the Sermon on the Mount. But he said only a few are going to find the straight and the narrow way. Only a few. If that's the ratio, no matter when the earth and what the generation, then always people of righteousness are going to be in the minority. And so the majority doesn't like to be funneled into the truths of the word of God, okay? You will be persecuted, some to more, some to a lesser degree, but you'll have opposition. Verse 13, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy. You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When you were brought into this world, you were fortunate enough to have parents, to have grandparents that loved the word of God. And you have known the scriptures from infancy. All right. And then he says this. And from them, you can learn about salvation because of faith in Christ Jesus. You see, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of it. From Genesis 3.15, the first sin that comes into the world, God promises a Savior. 
Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Through David, which then gives prophecies about our suffering Savior on the cross. To Isaiah, the prophet, that then says, this is what's going to be taking place. All the way down, it points to Jesus. And he says, even just the Old Testament, it pointed you to salvation in Christ. All right? So that's how important it is. And then he comes to this passage and he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not part of it. Not some of it. It's the pleroma. It's the fullness. It's everything that's in Scripture is what? God-breathed. It's expiro. Now, we get the word expired from that. And the reason for that is because when a person dies, expires, they are breathing out their last breath. It's the same kind of word. God breathed the word. All scripture is God breathed. That's what he's saying. So I think that's huge for us to grab a hold of. Now it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and once again, training in righteousness. You'll see this word righteousness again. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Don't you preach your opinions. You preach the word of God, the word of truth, because that is the foundation that you need to stand upon. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear uh, we can always find somebody that agrees with us and we can even find a teacher of what well, what we need is the truth not just what we want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths but you Keep your head, or the word is, be sober. The way that you look at this, be clear-minded. In all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What he's telling Timothy is this is so critical. I'm about to leave. And here's the last thing I've got for you. Hang on to the word of truth. It's your bedrock for a standard of right and wrong. The way you ought to live life, if you want a godly one. Because the rest of the world won't accept it. They will deceive and they will be deceived. They'll just heap under themselves what they want to hear. But if you really want to know the will of God, he's put it down for us. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine a parent 
who would not tell their kid right from wrong. Oh, just go live life. I'll support whatever you want to do. What kind of parenting is that? You love somebody, you'll say, hey, here are the danger points. Look out for this. Come on. And that's what God's word does. When it says don't do this, he just knows it's going to hurt us. So don't do it. When he says do this, he knows it's going to bring us fulfillment in life, so do it. God isn't up there just seeing how close we can get to his standard of perfection. That's not what it's about. Man, he loves us like a father. He wants us to understand how to do this life right. And so he then gives us the word of truth, that of righteousness. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. Would you just keep preaching the word? In the letter to Peter writes, I want to go there next because Peter gives us a couple of things that Paul doesn't. Do you remember, how many of you remember the story about Peter, James, and John? They're taking up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Remember that? Remember that story? Anybody? Uh, oh, kind of a PS or a side note or an asterisk right now. I talked with Andre a little bit earlier today, and I said, you know, I, I usually preach for about 25 minutes. I said, this one may go 30, so you might want to warn your youth leaders, okay? Nursery workers and that might go about 30. He looked at me and he laughed. He goes, that'll still be a whole lot shorter than mine. <laughs> I understand you can't hardly get through a sermon without crying, right? I have then started calling him the weeping prophet, okay? That's what Jeremiah was known as in the Old Testament, the weeping prophet. God uses different personalities and different to bring about the same truths. Isn't that cool? I love it. I love it. But Peter now, he's telling a story about, do you remember? We went up on this Mount of Transfiguration. Got to see Moses. Got to see Elijah. Got to hear the voice of the Father. And as we're coming down from the mountain, we're going, boy, this is going to be cool. I cannot wait to tell the rest of the guys, right? And then Jesus all of a sudden goes, oh, by the way, you're not allowed to tell anybody. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Until I rise from the dead. That's what he says. Can't tell anybody until. This is what he does in 2 Peter. He makes reference to this and he says, Do you remember the time when we had this awesome experience? But then he goes on and he says, But we have something even more important than your experience, my experience, and that is the word of truth. Made more certain is the way he says it. And this is how it goes. And in 2 Peter, in chapter 1, he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's an interesting word here in the Greek. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word is used in classical Greek and other ways, but the most common is when it's used of a ship that is blown by the wind, that is carried along by the wind. It's just a cool image that you can just picture. No motorized boats back then. You either rode the thing or you caught a breeze. 
And that wind drove the ship. And that's what he's saying about the Holy Spirit. They didn't think this stuff up. It's not man's best effort. It's not just a reference book. The Holy Spirit drove these men, used them in their personalities, their cultures, their time. But it's the Holy Spirit who drove these men along. I think that's awesome. It just kind of helps me to understand how it is that God put this together. Next week, we'll take a, a, a more detailed look as to how it actually did get put together. But behind it all is that driving force of the Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Peter in chapter 3, he, he kind of answers a question probably most of us would have. And that is, do you think they knew what they were doing when they were doing it? Do you think they knew they were writing scripture? And Peter speaks to this. He says about Paul, he says he writes the same way in all of his letters, Paul does, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. How many of you find Romans just a little bit hard to understand? Yeah. And some of the other things, you know, Paul was different from Peter. Peter was a fisherman growing up. Paul had the advantage of all the education. And sometimes he writes for the deeper guy. And Peter makes reference to that. And he says, speaking of his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people will distort. They'll take something that's difficult by Paul. They'll insert their own thing into it to prove their own bias, which ignorant and unstable people do, is what he said. All right. And then he said this, which ignorant and simple people distort as they do the other scriptures Ooh. to their own destruction. What he has just said, what he has just said, and he uses the word scriptures there in the Greek, the same word for the Old Testament. He said, Paul's writing these things. People will distort it just like they did the other script. He puts Paul's writings on the same level of the Old Testament. Awesome, isn't it? I think they know. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will guide you into all truth. And I think this is what he's talking about. There will be a new testament, a new covenant, a new will that's brought in by the apostles, by the New Testament. And then the last part this morning is just the credibility of Jesus. His credibility is at stake. If Jesus is wrong in just one point, then he cannot be your sacrifice, my sacrifice. He can't. He's got to be right in everything. When the gospel writers write the first four books, the gospels, Matthew and Mark are the first two that are written. Luke when he begins it, he says, uh, I'm writing to you. I, I know there are some other gospels that are out there, but I'm writing to you for this reason. And then John, when he writes, he writes 30 years later, and he's kind of looking back. And when John writes about the coming of Jesus into the world, he describes him as the word who became flesh, dwelt among us. And then he says this, and he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That was Jesus, 
full of it. Jesus said, I am the what? The way and what? The truth and the life. He is the truth. He was full of grace and truth. That's how he came into the world. And so then he can say, the truth will set you free. As he's talking at one point, he goes, and you know that scripture cannot be broken. He just kind of breaks into this thing, and right in the middle of it, he, he says, and you know scripture cannot be broken. It, it was an understood thing. And what he's saying is, the Old Testament, you know, was from God, and you can trust every part of it. That was the testimony of Jesus to the scripture. He tells the Sadducees at one point. Now, these are the guys that didn't believe in a resurrection, didn't believe in life after death, didn't believe in angels, but they were Jews. They didn't believe any of this. And Jesus then, as they challenged him, said this, you are in error because, two things, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. This is Jesus who said, in my father's house, right? How does he know that? Been there, done that, right? And he's going back. You err because you don't know the scriptures. And now it's your own interpretation. And you don't know the power of God. Man, I am here to tell you, I don't know the scriptures. I have a master's in the New Testament field, okay? That is what I love, because I love the word of God. But I know about this much. But I'm gaining on it, okay? The power of God, I know about this much. But I'm gaining on it. God doesn't care how much you know. He's not going to give you an entrance exam into heaven. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? No entrance exam. The exam is, did you love me with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind? That's number one. And then he said, if you do, then that'll play out because you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God does. Everything else, the law, the prophets, hang on these two things. The word of God keeps coming into our lives in different ways. I was talking with Scott earlier. We did a lunch um, uh, this past week, and we were talking about some of these things. And he's going, you know, what about the people that just take it and they're so narrow with it? And you got to do it this way and this way. And if you don't do it my way, you don't get in. You know, there's, you know, people like that. You know, there's that slippery slope that'll go down that side. But then there's a slippery slope that goes down the other side too. The ones that believe that it is not the word of God, that it was not inerrant, that it was not infallible. And if it starts off with errors, what about that slippery slope? Well, which parts are you going to pick and choose? Nah, I don't like that part. We're just going to, you know. But what God wants us to see is this is his word. It's his truth. It's his love letter that then as a parent says, oh, man, if you want to do it and do it well, this is how you do it. This will hurt you. This you'll love. And he just does it as a father. He wants us to know the truth, because that truth will set us free. Here's my last point. The rich man and Lazarus. Anybody remember that story? The rich man and Lazarus? Yeah? Jesus does not say this is a parable, number one. He says there was a rich man 
received all kinds of good things in this world. And there was this poor man, Lazarus, and he just longed to eat from the crumbs that would fall off this guy's table. He was so poor, he was so wretched that he had sores all over his body. And in fact, it was so disgusting that even the dogs would come and lick his sores. It's described that way. So you have the rich man that dies and you have Lazarus that dies. He says, Lazarus dies, the angels come and take him and take him up into Abraham's bosom. They take him into the place of paradise. Doesn't name the rich man, does name the poor man. He just says the rich man also was carried away. He went to the place of torment. And while there, God, for some reason, allows this one in torment to see what's going on. And he sees that in Abraham's bosom, the paradise, that poor man, Lazarus. And he says, Abraham, would you allow him to just dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue? Because I am in such torment. And Abraham says, no, you can't do it. Besides, there's a great gulf fixed between the two, and we can't cross back and forth. It can't happen. And he says, well, then, Abraham, how about this? Would you send Lazarus back to my family? I've got five brothers back there. I resonate with that because I have five brothers. I've got five brothers back there, and I do not want them here. Now, some of the buddies I would run around in high school used to joke about hell and say, well, if I'm in hell, at least my buddies will be there and we'll just all drink up, right? Not happening. We generally will laugh about things that will scare us or we don't understand or we don't want to understand. But that's not happening. He says, would you please send Lazarus back to my five brothers? And Abraham says, no, can't do it. They have Moses and the prophets. That ought to be enough. He says they have the Old Testament scriptures. That ought to be enough. And the rich man says, no, but if somebody rises from the dead, they will believe and they won't come here to this place of torment. And again, the answer comes back. They have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the truth of the word of God. And if they don't believe that, they won't believe even if somebody rises from the dead. That's how important the word of God is. I'd love for some of my family and friends to have this miracle just stand in front of them so that they would believe but what is said is they have the truth. If they want the truth, they'll pursue the truth. It will set them free. That's what Jesus said. So I think that's kind of the clincher for me. Which would you rather have? Some kind of miracle or the word of God? Abraham says the word of God is more important. You can check it out. You can test it. You can see it. And it doesn't change doesn't change. Last passage of scripture I want you to read with me. It comes from Revelation chapter 19. It's up here on the screen. If you would, please read this out loud with me. 
Yeah, everybody do that really good. Clear your throats. Come on. <clears throat> I want you to read this, okay? Go. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Now, that wasn't too bad, but you can do better, okay? Come on. Let's read the rest of this. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. How important is that? When he comes back, he's going to judge in righteousness. Which righteousness? Which truth? The one that he gave to us. One that the rest of the world really doesn't want to hear because they'd have to change their lives. The one that if you're pursuing godliness and righteousness, you want to know. Because that's him. He is the word of God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Please, Lord, help us to understand. The world is going to do what they think is right. The old scriptures, uh, the Old Testament make reference to that. And when each man did that which was right in his own eyes. And it seems that way today as well. Oh, Lord, help us to measure our emotions and our decisions by your word. Not the other way around. Help us to trust you. That you not only can put it together, you can hold it together. And it is such a beautiful release when we know what your will is and we do it with all of our heart. Father, help us this week to read your word and to gain a measure from your spirit that we need. We pray in Jesus' name.